Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 18 through 25 this morning. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 today. And uh, we're kicking off a new sermon series here just for Advent, kind of a, a, a Advent sermon series that we're calling, And You Shall Call His Name. And uh, we're going to look at some of the different things that Jesus has called in these birth narratives over the next, uh, this Sunday and the next three Sundays. So today we look at Emmanuel. Uh, next week, I believe, we'll look at the name Jesus. The next week, we'll look at this title he's given, the Christ. And then finally, we'll talk about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. We'll talk about his divinity a little more even than we will today. And so I look forward to exploring uh, who Jesus is and these core doctrines, these core truths that we ought to celebrate at Christmas time. And then our whole Advent season, as we've said, will culminate as we celebrate the coming of Jesus on Christmas Eve together as a church family in our candlelight Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, do, do me a favor, go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. This morning, oh Lord, our God, we ask even now that you would open our hearts and our minds, God, to receive your word. And Lord, my prayer is that we would be changed by it. Help us to focus on the coming of your son during this Christmas season. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Over the years, one of the doctrines of Christianity that has been most under attack. It's one of the things you hear sort of ridiculed the most and, and attacked the most is the virgin birth of Christ. In fact, this is nothing new. This is one of the things that uh, was a major critique of Christianity in the early years of the church, in the, in the Roman Empire. It, it's always been ridiculed. We, we do practice it these days this little thing that C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery where we think that today we're smarter than people used to be and we think it wasn't until modern scientists discovered where babies come from that people knew where babies come from 
But I can assure you, people have known for quite a long time where babies come from. In fact, many, many people who call themselves Christians, proponents of what's called theological liberalism, which is sort of a, a school of thought, a, a sort of theology that minimizes doctrines and rejects the authority of the Bible, many of them threw this doctrine out in order to try to make Christianity more palatable to a secular audience. The idea, they said, is that to a modern audience, the idea that a virgin birth could happen is pretty laughable. It's kind of silly. It's, it's outlandish to us to think that a, a virgin give, could give birth to a child. To which I say that is exactly the case. Amen to that. It is ridiculous to think that a virgin could give birth to a child. That's why it's called a miracle. It's exactly the point of it. You know, we don't celebrate God doing normal things by ordinary means. We, we celebrate the fact that God did something miraculous that this is a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal. We don't celebrate the birth of Moses every year. We, we don't celebrate the birth of the apostles every year. We celebrate the birth of Christ every year precisely because it is a miracle. But furthermore, it's, it's a stumbling block to many that God, the, the, the transcendent God, the, the amazing God who is greater than us and beyond us and more than us. The fact that God could become man, lowly man, with all the things associated with humanity short of sin, that God, the God who created the universe, could become one of us. It's a stumbling block. To many, And for that reason, many theologians, many pastors even, sort of threw this doctrine out. And just said, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, along with the resurrection and others, they would just say these miracles don't matter. What, what matters is that, that you see in them stories that, that help you have faith, that help you believe in something, some God, somewhere. Ironically, though, and, and one thing I'll argue this morning the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, and, and furthermore, the fact that God would become man, the incarnation. To be incarnated is, is, is to become a person, to become flesh. So this morning when I talk about the incarnation, that's what I'm talking about. The, the virgin birth and the incarnation, ironically, I would argue, actually help provide some of the answers that a secular world needs the most. As we continue to live in a society and a world, in fact, that is growing, it seems, in secularity, at least in, in, in the West where we are and in the traditions in which we're a part of, secularity, secularism is growing. And I believe that based on the folks I know who struggle with belief in God and belief in Christianity, the virgin birth and the incarnation are two of the doctrines they need most to make sense of the world and to make sense of God. You see, if you question how God can be loving, if you question how God can be loving, the incarnation is for you. If you struggle with the presence of suffering in the world, the incarnation is for you. If you wonder whether or not there's really anything out there or anyone out there, the incarnation is for you. This, this morning, I want to show you three reasons why Emmanuel matters. 
Uh, Three reasons why this idea of God with us, this idea of the incarnation, this idea of God becoming flesh. I want to show you three reasons why this matters so much this morning. As we kick off Christmas, I I hope that this will give you something to chew on and, and something to consider throughout the Advent, throughout the Christmas season. Three reasons why God becoming flesh, why the incarnation matters this morning. Here's the first. The incarnation shows God's love. The the incarnation shows God's love. And and simply our text this morning are, are these two verses. Inside what we've read, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. One of the reasons this is so important is because it demonstrates to us God's love. I I, I want you to consider this reality. God has a right to privacy. Fascinating to think about. We we all think about that for ourselves. We all have a right to privacy. Things we want to keep private, we can keep private. We, We... we, we don't want folks in our personal space. We don't want folks coming in uninvited. We have a right to privacy. And if there are things you want to keep private, you can keep them private. How much more so is that the case with God? If God wants to remain undisclosed, God can remain undisclosed. God is under no obligation to do anything except exist with total and complete privacy. So consider the immense glory, just the the craziness, in fact, of the fact that God has spoken and revealed himself. The fact you have a Bible this morning is a miracle. God has spoken, God has revealed that He existed, and He could have created a world where He remained totally private, totally undisclosed, and we went on and on having no idea there was a God, and yet God has spoken, but it goes beyond that. God hasn't merely spoken. God hasn't simply said who He is and talked to us. God came here. God has come here. But even then, when we think about God coming here, is love necessarily what we would expect? Is love exactly what we would expect God to do? Is love how we would expect God to behave? I don't think so. Any of y'all, when you were a child, ever been in trouble? Anybody? Brant. I know you have. (laughs) Yeah, I've been in trouble before. And if you've ever done something wrong and you know you're going to get it for it. Some of you may have known you were going to get in trouble for something. Your mom comes through and says, you've you've had it now. And you start confessing and she was talking about something completely different. (laughs) You see, when we've done something wrong, we anticipate punishment. One of the things I do every year at VBS and other opportunities at McSpadden as well is I get to share the gospel with kids. And every year I I run a test. 
And I say, have you ever gotten in trouble when you didn't deserve it? And I've yet to have a child say yes. Now, isn't that funny? Some of y'all parents need to know that. Because every time you get on to them, they say, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. But when they get with the preacher, they know. They know. They, they, they won't lie to me, I guess, you know. You know, our expectations of God. If, if God had not revealed himself to us at all, if, if we just heard that God was coming and, 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 hey, turns out there's a creator and he's on the way and we didn't know there was a God, our expectations would not naturally be that God is love. If you think about just the volatility of the world, in fact, hurricanes and volcanoes and those sorts of things exist, it doesn't indicate to us that God naturally would be love. When you think about the presence of suffering in the world, if you heard God was coming, you might think he's probably bringing with him more suffering. Think about your own conscience. Everyone I know does things they know is wrong. And so you may be like, like you felt when you were a little kid, when you know you've done something wrong and you know you deserve punishment for it. That's probably how we would feel. And, and furthermore, we all have an innate desire for justice. Nobody believes or wants to believe in hell until you bring Hitler up. I mean, everybody wants to believe in hell. Because we all have an innate sense and desire for justice. We would expect that if God were to come, God would be wrathful. That God would be angry. And yet when the angels in Luke's account come into the world, this great multitude of angels comes. I always like to say it's sort of a, a military band. Angels are, are not chubby babies with wings. Angels are warriors, messengers. So it's more like a military band coming and what do they sing they don't announce the coming judgment of God what do they say peace on earth and goodwill to men with whom God is pleased for God what so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son not only has God revealed himself to us but God did not leave us alone here God came to us. God is with us. What a marvelous thought that is. Some of you this morning need to feel loved. Some of you this morning need to feel a sense that there's love in the world. Let this idea wash over you. Let this thought root itself in your heart today. Emmanuel, God is with us. And not only does the incarnation, though, demonstrate God's love, but also the incarnation means that God can save sinners. That's our second point this morning. The incarnation means that God can save sinners. The other night I was laying, our daughter turned eight years old today. I was laying in the bed with her, and she's been having a lot of gospel questions lately. Both of our older children have uh, just been having a lot of questions about who God is and what God's done. And so I was laying in bed with her. She was getting ready to go to sleep, and we were talking about the gospel. And she said, Dad, why didn't God just save us? That's a good question. Do you all ever thought about that before? Why didn't God just do it? You know, why did God send His Son into the world? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why all this other stuff? When, why didn't God just, just snap His fingers and make it happen? He, he's all-powerful, right? He, he's totally powerful. He's able to do that. Why is that the case? Well, here's the reality. 
God is just. And for God to be God, God must simultaneously be committed to God's own justice and at the same time for God to be love, which the Bible says He is. God must be committed to His own love. And so theologically speaking, or even philosophically speaking, we find ourselves at a quandary, right? How can God love sinners and at the same time be just? How can God be both just and the justifier of sinners? An old theologian named Anselm of Canterbury helped us with this thought, helped us with this question, and I I think it's so helpful for us. You see, the incarnation means God can save sinners because Jesus becoming man, the, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God becoming flesh, provides a way for God to save sinners where He can remain both perfectly just and perfectly loving. Think about it. Think about it. For God to be just, we ought to pay for our sins. Don't you agree? I mean, if God is to be just, then we ought to pay for our own sins. Otherwise, it's not justice. Man ought to pay for man's sins. And yet man is incapable of paying for man's sins. If we found a way to do it, we would have already done it. And yet the Bible says that we are incapable of repaying a holy God for our sins. We cannot satisfy God's justice. That's why hell is eternal. Because we cannot ever repay God. It's impossible. And so if God had to pay, but man ought to pay, what's the solution? Anselm says, this is why there is a God-man. That that is why we celebrate the baby in the manger who is both 100% God and 100% man. This is why we rejoice at Christmas time because the incarnation means that God can save sinners. God didn't merely snap because God is simultaneously committed to His own justice and simultaneously to His own love for sinners. And so that means that the incarnation guarantees... God becoming flesh guarantees that God is able to save to the uttermost. Do you see this beautiful truth? Do you see how God remains both just and the justifier of sinners? Only through the incarnation. This is why Christmas matters. Furthermore, the, the virgin birth also guarantees to us that Jesus is truly God's Son. That, that, that God is really with us, that God can really save us because this is not someone merely that God just sent to help us. You know, God's capable of doing that, right? God, God could send angels to help people. God can send other people to help people. And, and we have a high view of angels and people in different ways for those very reasons because sometimes God uses them to help us. But Jesus is not just... Another man like Moses that God raised up to help and to speak on his behalf to his people. God's not just another man like Samuel who who God used to intermediate as a priest between himself and his people. Jesus isn't just another man like David whom God raised up to rule as king over his people. Now Jesus Christ, my friends, 
though fully man, is also fully God. He is God incarnate, and he is therefore the true and better Moses, and the true and better Samuel. He is the true and better David. He is the best and perfect prophet. He is the best and perfect priest. He is the best and perfect king. Crown him, crown him, the great king says, great hymn says, prophet and priest and king. God is with us. And since God is with us, God is able to save. God is able to save. Not only does the incarnation tell us that God loves us, and, and not only does it mean that God is able to save us, but also the incarnation gives us enduring hope. That's our third point this morning. The incarnation gives us enduring hope. Christmas doesn't last all year, right? Some of us, we're stretching it out as long as we can. You know, mid-October to mid-February, we got the decorations up. You know, I'm just going to be honest, the doctrines of Christmas in the Bible are in the Bible, but Christmas isn't in the Bible. And if you want to leave your Christmas tree up all year long, I don't think it bothers the Lord. Now listen, it bothers me a little bit, right? But that doesn't mean it bothers the Lord. I'm getting, I'm getting a stank eye from my wife in the first pew over here. Preacher, preach to thyself. But Christmas ends, though. We might want to stretch it out. We love Christmas time. We enjoy it and everything else. But the good news is, the good news is that the incarnation isn't over. You ever thought about this truth? This is when when this truth dawned on me. It was one of the most transforming things for my walk with the Lord and my the way I view and understand Jesus even now. You, you see, when we think about Jesus in His earthly ministry, I think it's easy for us to envision Him as our very present help in times of trouble, as our friend. Yeah, you know, we think about Him with the disciples, and I just think we can imagine ourselves up close to Jesus when we imagine the disciples. Because we see ourselves as one of the crowd. Or, or when Jesus is breaking bread at the Last Supper, it's, it's kind of easy for us to think about that because we eat meals, and so we can imagine eating a meal with Jesus. But I think sometimes for, for Christians, there's a disconnect after the resurrection that, that we start to just think as Jesus is a little more distant. And, and of course, He's given us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, but, but maybe sometimes it's just hard for us to imagine Christ as someone close to us as our friend, as someone near and, and dear to us. But as you know, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again with a glorified and resurrected body. I want you to know something right now. At this very moment, at the right hand of God, there's a human being there. At this very moment, there's a man in heaven. The, the, the same body that was born in the manger, the, the same baby that was born in the manger, became a man who was crucified and who raised from the dead. And the same body that was born in the manger is the same body that was resurrected at Easter. It's the same Lord. It's the same Jesus. God became flesh and He dwelt among us and He will continue to do so forevermore. Goodwill has begun and it will never cease. Even now, at this very moment, the Lord Jesus Christ is flesh. 
and he has blood coursing through his veins. The very blood that was shed to save you from your sins is beating in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God right now. Think about it. Consider it. See the way that the incarnation never ends. And the fact that there's a man in heaven right now is such good news for weak and frail and struggling fleshly sinners like us. That there's hope for the future. There's a hope that that us who struggle, those of us who are in flesh, can one day go there too because Jesus did. And on our behalf, even now, the Lord Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for us. The most important prayer ministry in the cosmos is the prayer ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of y'all, some of us, sinned on the way to church this morning. I say stuff all the time, like, you know, if if God is sovereign, that means there's no such thing as hassle. It's one thing to say, it's another thing to believe it on your way to church on Sunday morning, right? Some of us sinned on the way here today. Perhaps some of you are are living in continuing sin that you've not yet repented of. And God's been calling you to repentance, but you continue to harden your heart toward the Lord. I've got good news for you this morning. First of all, you can repent of those sins. Jesus loves you. He, he, He loves you, and there's no amount of sin that will keep you from going back to Him. But for those of us who remain sinners, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because it's redundant. We're all, we all remain sinners even though we're believers, even though we're Christians. Hear what the Word of the Lord says in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23, 24, and 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Why is Jesus able to save to the uttermost? Why is he capable of keeping you saved even as a sinner? What is it that sustains you even up to this very moment as a Christian? He always lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for them. At this very moment, the baby in the manger, the Lord and Christ who became flesh, lives before God at this very moment to make intercession on behalf of you. On behalf of you. Brothers and sisters, so desperately and so seriously, Today, you need the incarnation of the Son of God. You need this truth in your life every day and every hour. And you don't just need it yesterday. You don't just need it at the first Christmas. You need it today and you need it tomorrow for every tomorrow, now and forevermore. Sometimes people ask me why it is that I believe that we won't sin in heaven. What will keep us from starting this over the way we did the first time? Well, the first time the transgression came through, Adam 
because Adam was imperfect and fallible. But the second time, we have a second Adam. And when we go to the new heavens and the new earth to be with Jesus, we will have a head and a leader who is in our flesh and in our blood and who is perfect forevermore, who will continue to sustain us, not yesterday, not just today, not just tomorrow, but a trillion years from now, our Lord Jesus Christ in flesh and blood will be sustaining His people sinless forevermore. You need the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Are you struggling today? Look to Jesus, to Emmanuel, to God with us, to God made flesh, fully God, a fully God, and fully and totally human. I love Christmas time. And I love Advent because I love celebrating the fact that God became flesh. This isn't a doctrine that we reject. This isn't a doctrine that embarrasses us. This is a doctrine we need desperately every day. This is something we celebrate. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus for the first time, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became flesh, who was perfectly sinless and yet became sin on our behalf, died a sinner's death, whom God raised from the dead, and He now sits at His right hand. He stands with open arms at this moment for you to turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Him. This altar is open to you this morning. I'll be here for you. If you feel uncomfortable coming down front in front of folks to talk about this, that's okay. I'll talk to you after the service. I'll be available for you. If, you want to, if you'd rather schedule an appointment so you can gather your thoughts, that's fine. But today, I want you to know today is the day of salvation. And so if God is leading you to make a decision, this altar is open today. And second of all, second of all, you may be a believer. You may say, Pastor, I just need some time to stop and thank God for what He's done for me. This altar is open for you. You may have sins you need to repent of. This altar is open for you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Well, Lord our God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for His gospel. And God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together today. And God, I pray that you would move among us even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.